You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another edition of The Corbett Report. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan, here on this 19th day of July, 2013. Welcome to episode 276 of the Corbett Report podcast, The State is Not Great. Well, assuming you haven't been living under a rock for the last several years, I would imagine that you already know of the New Atheist Movement, this band of atheist proselytizers that have uh, that has arisen in recent years, uh, talking about the, the dangers and the evils of religion and superstition and the like trying to eradicate it from the face of the earth, or so they say. And, of course, the major proponents of this movement have been Richard Dawkins and Daniel Dennett and Sam Harris and Christopher Hitchens, writing books with provocative titles like The God Delusion and God Is Not Great, and other such uh, titles that are designed to infuriate most of the world's population in one way or another. And these people pride themselves on being the paragons of rationality and skepticism and, uh, and attaining all the virtues of logical rigor and scientific discourse in their attempts to denigrate religious thought. Well, whatever one makes of the New Atheist Movement and their writings and teachings and debates and the like, there is certainly, uh, in that analysis, room to point out the most fundamental hypocrisy of this group, namely that while they claim to be against religion of all, of all sorts and claim to be only adherents to the most logically rigorous skepticism, they are in fact adherents and worshippers of the most dangerous, the most irrational, the most pervasive, and the most insidiously invasive of all of the religions that has ever been created on this planet, namely, statism. This is a point that has been made forcefully, articulately, and succinctly by, of all people, Noam Chomsky. Um, right after 9-11, um, you and Christopher Hitchens had a sort of dispute in the nation. And, um, you know, he sort of accused you of being an apologist for Islamic fundamentalism. And you accused him of, you know, um, using these horrible acts to justify U.S. foreign policy. Um, but my focus is um, more his... Um, um, Hitchens staunch secularism and um, those of other um, so-called new atheists like Sam Harris who seem to have the staunch secularism which I personally agree with but use it to justify um, you know an aggressive foreign policy so I'm just thinking of how to word this as a question um, do you see a way to rec not reconcile do you see a way to um, sort of um, uh, uh, separate the um, staunch secularism of um, Harris and Hitchens from their uh, warmongering and uh, in Harris's case outright support for torture? Mm -hmm. Well first of all I don't I think that they are religious fanatics they happen to believe in the state religion which is much more dangerous than uh, other religions for the most part so they, uh, both of them, happen to be defenders of the state religion. 
uh, namely the religion that says uh, we have to support the uh, violence and atrocities of our own state because it's being done for all sorts of wonderful reasons, which is exactly what everyone says in every state. And I, I don't regard, that's just another religion, like the religion that markets know best. Um, it doesn't happen to be a religion that you pray to every um, once a week, but it's just another religion, and it's very destructive. Well, I certainly disagree with Noam about a great, great many things, and I certainly disagree with the little dig that he subtly put in, slipped in there about the markets, and oh, the markets know best is another form of religion. Of course, I disagree with him about that, but I do agree with him that statism is in fact a religion. Statism, the idea that there needs to be nation states, that governments somehow have this authority to act and govern the people, which uh, is a right and an idea that doesn't exist in any individual, but somehow when in a group of individuals, it's not exactly sure how many, one, two, seven, 58, 51 percent, whatever that is of these individuals come together to sign some sort of imaginary social contract that doesn't actually exist, they can suddenly create this thing called a government which can exercise all of these uh, types of rights that no individual human being has. This is a religious belief. This is a belief in, in this abstract entity that exists somewhere in some other dimension and some other realm that can't be apprehended directly and which uh, nonetheless is, is used to govern other people. And, uh, and as, as I say, this is in fact the most irrational and the most dangerous religion. But there is the sense in which one might take this as being merely an analogy, merely a little bit of rhetoric to, to sort of dismiss uh, the, the, the new atheists. So uh, you're just saying that this is a religion and to, to basically get under the skin of these new atheists. Absolutely not. I don't think this is an analogy. I don't think it is an intellectual exercise. We could extend the analogy, of course, and we could talk about the different ways that that does actually fit. We could talk about the parliaments and the capitals and the uh, the palaces of the governments that exist as being the the, the cathedrals of this religion. We could talk about the prime ministers and the the, minis uh, the ministers and the senators and the congressmen as being the the priestly class in this religion, and they're all vying for the the top spot, the pontiff position, so that they can become that direct branch between God and the people uh, in the executive branch, the the president or the the prime minister or what have you. Or we could uh, look at the courts as being temples to the god of justice and uh, replete with the, the head of that, the priest of that temple wearing the, the black robes of the Saturnalian cult. Uh, we could talk about the, uh, the, the architecture of the, the cathedrals of the, the, this religion um, being itself encoded with all, of, all sorts of religious uh, iconography, of course, and also even religious uh, meaning in terms of numerology. As we discussed in a previous episode of Corbett Report Radio, talking about the Manitoba legislative building, the Capitol building, being encoded with uh, all sorts of numerological references right in the very fabric of its architecture. Uh, we could talk about the the holy trinity of the executive, the legislative, and the judicial, amen, and uh, and all of these other aspects that seem to analogize, analogize very nicely with the idea of religions as uh, as we know them, the Judeo-Christian religion, the, the Islamic religion, etc. But, uh, but again, I don't think it is just an analogy. I think that what we're dealing with really is, in many ways, the exact same thing as with a re religious belief. It truly is a belief in some sort of deity that exists outside of the realm of apprehension that 
in the name of which people are able to govern other people with. And as I say, I think this is the most irrational and the most dangerous religion conceivable on this planet, and yet one that is so completely pervasive that even to identify it as a religion is, well, dare I say it, heresy in this day and age. And of course, the new atheists would deny this vehemently. Oh no, they're so rational, they're so skeptical. But they are certainly adherents to a religion, they just don't know it. Well, let's talk about some of this, and let's ta address that uh, that last contentious point I, I may have made directly, the idea that this is the most irrational, the most dangerous religion. Where do I get off saying that? Well, let's, let's uh, listen to a uh, segment, segment from a very interesting interview that I had earlier today here in Japan with Larkin Rose of LarkinRose.com. He should be familiar to many of my listeners from his previous appearances on this podcast, but if not, I hope you would go to LarkinRose.com to take a look at some of his very informative videos talking about uh, anarchism and voluntarism and why people should not be adherents to the religion of statism. And of course, you should check out his uh, his probably best-known work on the subject, uh, the, his book, The Most Dangerous Superstition. And earlier today, we managed to record a conversation on this very topic, talking about various aspects of the government statist slash religion, uh, religious uh, affiliation. And we talked, we addressed this subject specifically, that in fact, if statism is a religion, then it is demonstrably the most irrational religion that could possibly exist. Well, that's that's the weirdest thing, because government is the least rational, most insane religion ever, because on the one hand, yeah, like uh, Pope Obama would never say I as just uh, me, I'm allowed to come take your stuff and boss you around. No, he says as a representative of this thing called government. But if you say, you know, in a normal church, you say, well, who are you representing? Well, there's a big deity somewhere else. You can't see him. Take my word for it, I represent him. But when it comes to the government god, they don't even pretend, they talk as if there's this thing called government they represent. But if you say, well, what is it? Like, can you point at it? Because it seems like it's just you guys. You guys issue threats and hurt us if we disobey, but you use this weird language as if you're representing something that you can't point to and nobody can describe called government. And so instead of threats, you call it laws. And, and all of their terminology is designed to make it, to, to put up this weird impression that, you know, it looks like we're just people doing this, but we're not. We're agents of a magical thing called authority. So we're allowed to do this. And the thing is, if you, uh, the reason why I say it's the least sane religion ever is because it's at least difficult to disprove the existence of some super being on a different plane of existence. Because you can't just point there and say, look, it's not there. You know, whether it is, it may be just as difficult to prove it, but it's, it's tough to disprove it. But in the case of government, it's really easy to prove that it's not there. And that's, you know, that's the whole point of my book, The Most Dangerous Superstition, is to demonstrate that this isn't even a deity that may or may not exist on some other plane. The, the doctrine people are, thought, are taught is just patently absurd. 
And the only reason anybody believes it is because they have it pounded in their heads day in and day out from, you know, the time they know how to read just about. Um, and a bunch of examples of that are like consent of the governed. No, there isn't such thing. If it's consent, it's voluntary. If it's being governed, it's not. And, well, they represent us. Okay, they represent us by doing a lot of things that we don't have the right to do. And they represent us by bossing us around and taking our money. Like, I bet if I went to my neighbor and bossed him around and took his money and said, I'm representing you, he would say, what? What a stupid thing to say. But we're taught these absurdities to try to mangle into people's heads the perception that there really is this magical superhuman thing called government that's legitimate. And all of the excuses are logically insane, literally. Representative government, consent of the governed, um, the, the notion that we can delegate to somebody else uh, a right that none of us had to begin with. And it's all, without all these lies, the entire myth of government falls apart. But we're just trained to not think about them. So we don't see this. Not only is this a religion, it's the dumbest religion ever. <laughs> That's well put. And, and it, 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 that brings up a remarkably interesting point. Because when we look at the, uh, the, the authority of where this supposed authority supposedly comes from, we can see that the development of that idea throughout history has been deeply intertwined with the development of religious thought as well, so that if you go back a few thousand years, basically people were, were worshipping or told to worship emperors as God on earth. And eventually that morphed into the divine right of kings, so that still the basis of government was God. Eventually, of course, when we arrive at the, the, the modern era, there, there has been that, that gradual removal of the state from the church explicitly, meaning that, uh, that, yes, all we're left with now is this vague notion of the collective will, and there's some sort of, there's some sort of collective uh, consent of the governed, as you say, that, that makes this possible, which is even more ephemeral and even more difficult to, to, to understand, but, but trust us, it's there. Which right. uh, which is a bizarre way because it's it's it, it is exactly like religion, but you've removed the religious element from it. So so now it's right. uh, you know, w what what is it even based on anymore? Right, exactly. I mean, the uh, I think most and I used to think this. I think most people think, oh, divine right of kings. That's ridiculous. Now we're learned and we have democratic republics, and we we've gone backwards from divine right of kings. Because if somebody says, oh, by the way, God says I get to rule you, um, I'm probably not going to believe them, but it's a little bit difficult to, to disprove unless I can, like, get a hold of God on the phone and say, did you really tell him he's allowed it? So at least it's hard to disprove. It seems almost infinitely unlikely. But in this case, the actual given excuse is we have the right to rule you because – you decided we did, even if you didn't vote for us, and even if you oppose everything we do to you. And and again, getting in all the weird rhetoric. And to me, the most insane is we are the government, which you hear everywhere. And I ask somebody, wait, do you do you really not notice that there's a group of people over there? You're not over there. You're right here. They are over there. They issue threats. And they call them laws and they issue demands for money and they call it taxes. And if you disobey, they send men with guns to hurt you. Now, are you really incapable of distinguishing between yourself and them? Like the carjacker who says, give me your car. Nobody says, 
I am the carjacker <laughs> because it would be utterly insane. But people say we are the government, which is so patently loony. And if people just step back, no, you're not. They boss you around and control you and they hurt you if you disobey. And if you haven't noticed that yet, like uh, what world are you living in? <laughs> the always interesting and always persuasive Larkin Rose. Once again, LarkinRose.com. Well, I think we've made the point quite clearly that indeed this is a religion, indeed it is irrational, and indeed uh, it, people who are adherents to it really often are so just out of default, but not because of any actual analysis. And when this is subjected to the light of analysis, it does tend to fall apart. So I, I would hope you would go and listen to the rest of that conversation available for download at CorbettReport.com, where we get into that in more detail. But let's continue on in our little checklist here. Uh, statism, the most irrational religion? Check. How about the most dangerous religion? That's also a, a tall order to fill, because of course the new atheists are at great pains to point out all of the, the murder and bloodshed and wars, etc., that have been waged in the name of God and gods, as if that wouldn't have happened if there had been no conception of God. Um, but uh, make of that critique what you will. But still, could it be that statism is in fact a far, far more dangerous religion? And I would argue absolutely yes, this is the case. And you don't have to listen to my word for it. I think we can uh, demonstrate that, as we will in just a moment. But first, let's listen to someone who has already talked about this and written about this at great length and explored this subject, because certainly I think anarchists of our day and age are not the first people to make this connection between statism and and the religions, uh, uh, generally speaking. So let's go back to the, the founder, the father of anarchist theory in general, uh, the 19th century Russian philosopher and thinker, Mikhail Bakunin, who is commonly credited as being the founder of anarchist thought. And while I certainly do not advocate Bakunin's ideas, I am not a adherent to his philosophy, I do not, uh, I am not a collectivist anarchist in the Bakunian tradition, so I do not uh, certainly um, recommend or, or advocate his philosophy generally, but in his seminal work, God and the State, he did, of course, have a lot uh, of interesting insights into this question of religion and the religious tendency as it relates to statism. And so let's let's take a look at that, because it seems, uh, again, from our conversation with Larkin and, uh, and our explorations in other respects, that this really is a religion that has been hollowed out of the explicit and overt connections with religions of the past, but is a religion nonetheless. And of course, we can see this from the historical analogs of where government developed from, from the earliest human civilizations where emperors were literally worshipped as gods on this planet, to the development of the divine right of kings. And then finally to this idea of the collective will of the people, the consent of the governed, the, this ephemeral social contract, which you and I have never signed, but somehow are signatories to. This, uh, this is the, the hollowing out of the, the, the explicit religious part of this religion. And what is one left with other than this shell or this husk of a religion, which is a, a strange state of affairs, but one might think, well, at any rate, it is not so, so dangerous as people who believe that they are being ordered directly by God himself. Well, as thinkers as far back as Bakunin have argued, no, in fact, that makes it much much more dangerous because idealists who are uh, who are frustrated idealists are always the most the most dangerous people imaginable and uh, and he makes this point at some great length in God and the state and uh, with some degree of 
of uh, verbal and or, uh, literary dexterity. So let's let's explore this a little bit. Let's listen to a bit of the LibriVox recording of God and the State, talking specifically about how dangerous this statist religion really can be. The state will no longer call itself monarchy. It will call itself republic. But it will be nonetheless the state. That is, a tutelage officially and regularly established by a minority of competent men, men of virtuous genius or talent, who will watch and guide the conduct of this great, incorrigible and terrible child, the people. The professors of the school and the functionaries of the state will call themselves republicans, but they will be nonetheless tutors, shepherds, and the people will remain what they have been hitherto from all eternity, a flock. Beware of shearers, for where there is a flock, there necessarily must be shepherds also, to shear and devour it. The people in this system will be the perpetual scholar and pupil. In spite of its sovereignty, wholly fictitious, it will continue to serve as the instrument of thoughts, wills, and consequently interests not its own. Between this situation and what we call liberty, the only real liberty, there is an abyss. It will be the old oppression and old slavery under new forms. And where there is slavery, there is misery, brutishness, real social materialism among the privileged classes as well as among the masses. In defying human things, the idealists always end in the triumph of a brutal materialism. And this for a very simple reason. The divine evaporates and rises to its own country, heaven, while the brutal alone remains actually on earth. Yes, the necessary consequence of theoretical idealism is practically the most brutal materialism, not undoubtedly among those who sincerely preach it, the usual result as far as they are concerned being that they are constrained to see all their efforts struck with sterility but among those who try to realise their precepts in life and in all society so far as it allows itself to be dominated by idealistic doctrines. To demonstrate this general fact, which may appear strange at first, but which explains itself naturally enough upon further reflection, historical proofs are not lacking. Compare the last two civilizations of the ancient world, the Greek and the Roman. Which is the most materialistic, the most natural, in its point of departure, and the most humanly ideal in its results, undoubtedly the Greek civilization, which, on the contrary, is the most abstractly ideal in its point of departure, sacrificing the material liberty of the man to the ideal liberty of the citizen, represented by the abstraction of judicial law, and the natural development of human society to the abstraction of the state, and which became nevertheless the most brutal in its consequences. The Roman civilization, certainly. It is true that the Greek civilization, like all the ancient civilizations, including that of Rome, was exclusively national and based on slavery. But in spite of these two immense defects, the former nonetheless conceived and realized the idea of humanity. It ennobled and really idealized the life of men. It transformed human herds into free associations of free men. It created, through liberty, the sciences, the arts, a poetry, an immortal philosophy, and the primary concepts of human respect. With political and social liberty, it created free thought. 
At the close of the Middle Ages, during the period of the Renaissance, the fact that some Greek emigrants brought a few of those immortal books into Italy sufficed to resuscitate life, liberty, thought, humanity, buried in the dark dungeon of Catholicism. Human emancipation, that is the name of the Greek civilization. And the name of the Roman civilization? Conquest, with all its brutal consequences. And its last word? The omnipotence of the Caesars which means the degradation and enslavement of nations and of men. Today even, what is it that kills, what is it that crushes brutally, materially, in all European countries, liberty and humanity? It is the triumph of the Caesarian or Roman principle. Once again, I think it's important to bring this back to reality and not to leave it in the realm of analogy or metaphor or something talking about some historical event or something. This is a very real, very lived experience for all too many people around the world who have lived through the utter atrocities committed by government, by this belief, this false, religious, irrational, dangerous belief in this imaginary authority of would-be governments and oppressors. And again, this is not something that uh, we have to speculate about or, or just talk about in a theoretical way. This is something that drastically transformed the face of the planet in the 20th century, especially as governments became more mechanized and thus more fully able to realize their dreams of oppressing and killing vast swaths of the human population, sacrifices, if you will, to the god of government. And let's talk about this, in, not in a vague way, but in a very specific way, by actually naming it. And that name would be democide. Democide, death by government. Intentional killings by government. And this is a subject that was that has been researched and promulgated and and talked about and and quantified by R.J. Rummel, a professor at the University of Hawaii, who has written about this at great length. So I will put in a link in the show notes to his definition of democide, some statistics of democide, some 20th century democide figures, all available from the University of Hawaii's website at hawaii.edu. But let us take a look at, uh, first of all, the definition of democide. What is this specifically? Well, in talking about uh, the idea of murder and the individual level that we can all understand, he then goes on to talk about it in the, in the sense of uh, intentional killings by government. Quote, As an analogous concept for public murder, that by government ac agents acting authoritatively, I offer the concept of democide. Its one root is the Greek demos, or people. The other is the same as for genocide, which is the Latin sedere, to kill. Democide's necessary and sufficient meaning is that of the intentional government killing of an unarmed person or people. Unlike the concept of genocide, it is restricted to intentional killing and does not extend to attempts to eliminate cultures, races, or peoples by means other than killing. Moreover, democide is not limited to the killing component of genocide, nor to politicide, mass murder, or massacre, or terror. It includes them all, and also what they exclude, as long as such killing is a pur purposive act, policy, process, or institution of government. End quote. Again, there's, there's much more to that definition, so I will encourage you to go and continue reading that article in which he outlines and defines democide generally and gives all of the specific examples and instantiations and, and quad, uh, qualifications for that, that definition. But yes, suffice it to say, the intentional killing of groups of unarmed 
the population by governments. And uh, let's let's look at the figures because they are startling and horrific. And in the 20th century alone, from the year 1900 to the year 1999, the world total of people estimated to have been killed at the hands of government, 262 million people. 262 million people. Again, keep in mind, this doesn't talk about specifically wartime casualties between enemy combatants uh, in, in a war scenario. This is intentional killings of unarmed people by governments. 262 million people. And since that is one of those numbers that is impossible for the average human to comprehend in an actual, real, tactile, physical sense, uh, <clears throat> Professor Rummel goes on to give a rather disturbing visualization of that number of dead bodies. He says, just to give perspective on this incredible murder by government, if all these bodies were laid head to toe with the average height being five feet, then they would circle the earth ten times. Also, this democide murdered six times more people than died in combat in all the foreign and internal wars of the century. Finally, given popular estimates of the dead in a major nuclear war, this total democide is though as such is as though such a war did occur, but with its dead spread over a century. End quote. Again, it's almost incomprehensible the amount of tor- torture and suffering and depredation that this government religion has inflicted on the world, and certainly those 20th century statistics are horrifying and brutal and very difficult to to comprehend. But nonetheless, we need to put ourselves to the task of attempting to comprehend it, because this is obviously something of such grave import. And as I say, it is so much just a part of our milieu that we're steeped in each and every day that most people wouldn't even think to define statism itself, let alone identify it as a religion. It is simply the the environment that we are steeped in since the moment we're born, and we're taught to think of it as perfectly normal, perfectly natural, perfectly logical that of course there is the this authority figure that uh, that rests outside of ourselves in some sort of collective will due to some process that no one can a- adequately or rationally describe that it gives rights and and the ability to to act on infringe on other people's rights that no individual human being would ever have and unfortunately it results time and time and time again in mass murder mass death mass slaughter and it will continue to do so into the 21st century and of course it already has through the first decade of the 21st century and as the technological aspects of what is capable at the hands of this this government uh, the actual people who are the priestly class of this religion as that technological progress um, moves it forward unfortunately the figures of the numbers of people that can and will be sacrificed to this religion will only continue to grow and grow and grow so talking about terrorist suicide bombers motivated by by radical islam that kill tens or hundreds of people a year uh, and, and contrasting that with the religion of government, which kills hundreds of millions of people per century and is likely only to increase from here is, well, I would say laughable, but it's far too serious a subject to laugh at. Of course, this does create the question of, well, maybe then we can 
finally remove the the religious aspects of this and we can finally ground this in something in something real and something material and something tangible and logical and rational maybe we can realize the implied dream of these so-called skeptic atheists the new atheists that we can found this ultimately on the bedrock of science and we can form a scientific government that will scientifically rule over people in a way that that is rational and logical and for the benefit of all well, no, in fact, that is an even scarier proposition than what we have already, if that is even comprehensible. And, uh, and we have to, once again, take a look at this squarely in the face, because this is an idea that has been proposed for a long time now, going back, at the very least, back to the Soviets and the, the technocratic revolution that the Soviets' uh, revolution represented, at least in its early stages, with the promise of Magnitogorsk and other things that we've outlined, for example example in my uh, video on the last word on utopia. But let's take a look at in more detail at this scientific dictatorship, this technological governance that some people want to bring into being. Once again, this is a subject that was directly confronted in God and the State by Mikhail Bakunin, so let's listen to a section of his book in which he talks about that. But until the masses shall have reached this degree of instruction, will it be necessary to leave them to the government of scientific men? Certainly not. It would be better for them to dispense with science than allow themselves to be governed by savants. The first consequence of the government of these men would be to render science inaccessible to the people, and such a government would necessarily be aristocratic, because the existing scientific institutions are essentially aristocratic, an aristocracy of learning. From the practical point of view, the most implacable, and from the social point of view, the most haughty and insulting, such would be the power established in the name of science. This regime would be capable of paralysing the life and movement of society. The savants, always presumptuous, ever self-sufficient and ever impotent, would desire to meddle with everything, and the sources of life would dry up under the breath of their abstractions. Once more, life, not science, creates life. The spontaneous action of the people themselves alone can create liberty. Undoubtedly, it would be a very fortunate thing if science could, from this day forth, illuminate the spontaneous march of the people towards their emancipation. But better an absence of light than a false and feeble light, kindled only to mislead those who follow it. After all, the people will not lack light. Not in vain have they traversed a long historic career, and paid for their errors by centuries of misery. The practical summary of their painful experiences constitutes a sort of traditional science, which in certain respects is worth as much as theoretical science. Well, once again, I hope that people aren't taking this merely as an analogy or an extended intellectual exercise. Once again, this does relate very much to the real world and what is possible and what is developing in our world as we speak, even as a new breed of people rise up trying to convince us that, yes, the, uh, the machines will be able to solve all of our problems in the future. And uh, without bothering to ask how these machines, these supercomputers, will be programmed with all of the resources of the Earth when we haven't even cataloged them all, how, th how they will decide what the best uses of those resources will be when they involve conflicting uh, ideas and ideals, 
or uh, who will be programming those machines. Uh, none of those, uh, or, or of course, they claim to have already solved the economic calculation problem without the need for prices, but they've never managed to provide any proof that they have done so, such as an actual calculation, formula, equation, or anything of the sort. So again, uh, it is being propo- uh, propounded right now, this technological fascism, this, this governance under the, uh, the scientific guise um, that is being propounded right now and needs to be opposed absolutely strenuously before it does become that scientific dictatorship capable of wreaking even worse numbers of carnage in the 21st century than what was possible in the 20th century. But again, this brings us back to the fundamental point, which is that absolutely statism is a religion, a dangerous religion. The belief in government and authority figures of that sort is absolutely 100% irrational and absolutely 100% dangerous. And I certainly hope that the uh, the, the religious uh, folks in the crowd, those uh, adherents to Judaism or Christianity or, or Islam or Buddhism or whatever your uh, religious persuasion is, I hope you don't take this as a personal slight on your religious beliefs. I certainly don't intend it as such. And in fact, let this be an exhortation to, for example, those of the Judeo-Christian persuasion in the crowd who have uh, as their first commandment that uh, you shall hold no other gods above me, then perhaps you need to think about whether or not you hold the god of government above the god of uh, of your religion. And uh, And speaking of that, I guess that also brings to mind the Ten Commandments, the Thou Shalt Nots, and the Ten Amendments to the Bill of Rights, the Thou Shalt Nots. That's another interesting little little part of that analogy. But anyway, we'll, we'll leave it there for now. I'm interested, of course, as always, to hear your thoughts on the subject. You can get in touch via the contact form on CorbettReport.com with the proviso, of course, as always, that I don't have the chance to answer each and every email that does come in, as I do get an awful lot of emails these days. And the further proviso that I will in fact be out of town for much of the next two weeks. So uh, I'm going to be on assignment for GRTV, so it will be a working uh, vacation for me, not a, a resting vacation. But that does mean that there will be no podcast for the next two weeks, no New World next week. Uh, There will be no Boiling Frogs post next week. The subscriber-only newsletter will likely be no issues for the next two weeks. So uh, there will be something of a summer hiatus, I suppose, for the next couple of weeks. So you can get caught up on the Corbett Report archives. And once again, I do appreciate the support of all the people out there who do make this work possible. So once again... This is James Corbett warning you about the dangers of the statist religion and asking you to shake out of your dogmatic slumbers and your worship of government today if you haven't yet done so. And on that note, we'll leave things there for today. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Looking forward to talking to you again in August. God save our